Hello and welcome to episode 35 of Rank Up, an on-page SEO podcast where we talk about technical SEO, content optimization, search engine news, and much more. My name is Ben Gary, and today I am joined by Olivia Maytung. Liv May, how are you? I'm doing very well, thanks. How are you? I am great. Great for a Monday. How's your week been? Getting off to a good start. Yeah, I think so. It's been quite productive. We're already um, a couple of days into the new month, so reports out the way and all that good stuff. This is the week where the SEO starts getting real. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know where I started going with that. I just thought, you know, let's let's just have a chat about work. Yeah. That's what everybody <laughs> wants to hear right now. <laughs> um, there was a reason that I called you Liv May as well, as you well know, because our other guest this week is also an Olivia. We are joined by Liv Day just to make our lives very confusing this episode. But we're very happy to have you here, Liv, uh, SEO account manager at Honeycomb Search. Liv, welcome to the podcast. And how are you doing? Very, very well, thank you. Yeah, sorry to add to the confusion with all of the libs, but yeah, very happy to be here. <laughs> no, it's great. Clearly, clearly there's something in the name with the SEO skills. That must be it. <laughs> 100%. So, Liv, before we get into the full interview, we always like to find out a bit more about our guests. So could you tell us, how did you get into your um, career in SEO today? Um, I would say a little bit like accident, as most people do. Um, I came out of uni a couple of years ago, not a lot of ideas about what I wanted to do. I just finished a degree in linguistics, so half of that was super, super creative, lots of writing, and then the other half was research-based, very data-driven. I had a vague idea that I wanted to combine those two sides into a career. Started off in marketing, which is where I got exposed to SEO. Moved on to in-house copywriting, which I loved, but wanted to see a little bit more of that strategic side. And then eventually I found myself in account management, which I think ties up all of the things that I like about SEO quite nicely. That's really interesting. So in this episode today, we're going to be talking to Liv about content. And we're, in this first section, we're going to talk specifically about the nuances in content strategy and optimization. So Liv, for your first question, could you tell us about your process for working out what kind of content should be optimized for a particular keyword? Sure. So I always start probably in the same place that most people do, which would be with the SERP analysis. So often you'll have a gut instinct on what the user intent is or what kind of content you'd want to create. But sometimes Google will throw you a curveball. You might have missed something. So I would always say start with the SERP analysis. Obviously, you can do this with just a Google search, but there are also some great tools out there. I love a tool called Through which is TRH with three views, I think. It gives you all of the information that you need about your SERP, everything from average word count, types of content, H1, H2 of every single page. And I love that kind of SERP analysis tool because it will help me be really confident about what kind of content I'm creating. And then I find it great for inspiration and things as well. That's really interesting. I've never heard of that tool before. So no, definitely made a note of that to have a look at for the, some of the content work that Impression does as well. And to make this really practical for people listening, could you tell us about your process for optimizing content? So where do you focus and what sort of changes are you trying to make? 
I'd say this one varies wildly depending on the kind of brief I've been given and what sort of content the site already has. So if a client's giving me a really open-ended brief, like optimize my content or make my content work harder for SEO, I might start by looking at Search Console and see what pages aren't quite meeting their full potential. So this might be URLs that are on the second page of Google, for example. So there's a potential to kind of make one or two little tweaks to bump them up. Um, I'll always try and work with the content that I've already got, but I'm quite guilty of just taking a sledgehammer to content and starting again. I think it's kind of the copywriter in me. I always prefer reading and editing my own work. But if I'm trying really hard not to, I will always focus on the structure first. So making sure that there's a really logical order to subheadings and things. I'd use tools like Answer the Public and work out exactly how you're going to meet all of your users' needs. And these subheadings are always really rich in keywords that might or might not already be in my keyword research list. And then from there, I'd say it's just about writing content that you would want to read as a user. I think that's the most important thing to stick with. It's really... Oh, oh, sorry, sorry, go on, Liv. I was just going to say, it's really um, reassuring to hear that you have sometimes like a sledgehammer approach to optimizing content as well, because I think for anybody that's listening, especially those that are agency side, you know that when you're um, optimizing existing content, sometimes if you're just if you don't take that almost um, rip it all out and start again approach, sometimes it ends up taking a bit longer than you would have anticipated. And especially when you do work agency side, time is really important. So Ben, did you have something else to add to that? Uh, Only really to ask about coming from the copywriting backgrounds into SEO. Um, Just because like comparing to my own sort of career, I never had that copywriting start. I went straight into SEO from uni and I guess kind of learned it all together. So I was just kind of curious, what was it like starting with that and then coming into the SEO role? Did you find there was sort of, there were good things from your copywriting time that you could carry into SEO? Was it like a case of relearning uh, all over again to kind of build SEO up from the, from the ground up? Like how easy was that transition? I'd say I was quite lucky in that I had a very nice transition so my copywriter role was had a very specific SEO focus okay. so even on day one of kind of copywriter training we would learn about kind of keyword research and things so I was less sort of a creative copywriter and more like an SEO sort of strategic minded copywriter I feel like if I'd come from that very creative like advertising copywriting background I might have found it a little bit harder to adjust yeah, but yeah. I think it's made me a little bit more of a perfectionist in terms of my writing, which, as Liv mentioned, with it always sort of being, you're like a little bit time sensitive or you always feel a little bit pushed for time might not always be the easiest because I'm always there like, oh, what about how, if I add this in, like make, make that a little bit nicer. And I do end up just doing the sledgehammer thing and being like, oh, I can write this better. Yeah, so is that where you end up quite a lot? Like, do you end up rewriting things like quite a lot or do you have to sort of really try and rein that in and keep it to the smaller changes? It varies. I, I never used to. When I first started working agency side, I'd never do the sledgehammer approach because I'd be too scared and I'm like, oh no, what if I offend clients or anything? But I think after I sort of did it once 
and a client was really, really grateful and they thought, oh yeah, actually you have rewritten this in a much better way. I thought, mm, you know what, we can kind of take the sledgehammer more often, but yeah. it, it does vary. Sometimes there are only sort of like minor changes that I need to make. And sometimes I just think it would be, it's actually a better use of my time to just start again from scratch because then you sort of get into the flow of things a little bit better. Yeah, that, and that's really helpful, I think, for people to, if people are listening who may be earlier on in their journeys as well, that the things that you can almost get a bit scared of doing for clients because you're worried about how clients will react uh, or, I suppose, management, if you're in, a, in an in-house role, uh, actually can be really, really well received if, if kind of done and communicated in the right way. Yeah, definitely. And I may well be borrowing that sledgehammer phrase in the future because <laughs> I really like that. <laughs> Um, sorry, I took us on a tangent there already. So back back to you, Liv May, get us back on track. Yeah, I mean, it's a really valid point because Ben and I are like on some of our shared accounts that we've had clients say to us, like you're saying, Liv, like that we're actually really grateful for that kind of ruthless approach to the content because more often than not, they do share the same sentiment of that it could have been right, written better. But, you know, they're, they're not going to likely want to say that in the first instance like we've even had clients say to us before like please be even more ruthless next time if you want to so just going back to some of the questions how do you work out where to focus when you have a big keyword opportunity I think this is a great question because massive opportunities do pop up left right and center and sometimes you will have to completely pivot on your original strategy to target it but nine times out of ten it will pay off. So sometimes you'll have a big keyword opportunity that is particularly time sensitive, in which case I would drop whatever I'm doing within reason to target it. So as an example, we have an education client. And when Squid Game came out last year, we decided that we wanted to create some content to target, target keywords related to Squid Game and its suitability for children. And we went all in straight away and within days, we were ranking for hundreds of keywords in the top three on Google. And I think it was due to the fact that we targeted it so quickly and we were sort of in there. And then in general, I think it's about just going all in and trusting your instincts if you think a keyword opportunity is going to be really fruitful. So as like another example, we had a client in the pensions industry. We created an entire online help center containing pretty much every keyword, every pension-related query anyone has ever asked, ever, rather than just making like one or two blogs and get going for a bit of like the half-hearted approach, we went all in and became kind of like the, the place to go for pension-related advice. And that just became such a massive driver of traffic to the website and ended up being really successful. That's really impressive. So you've almost covered two approaches there. Like it's one thing to be agile when new trends come out or when new bits of pop culture come out, which will obviously always have a lot of search volume behind it, but then also being more strategic with the content as well. Like you say, not just creating one or two blogs, but an actual like content hub. So yeah, thank you for that. So just, our next question. Sorry, Liv, just sorry, to come in very quickly again. I'm really curious about that Squid Game example. Mm -hmm. um, just because... Keyword opportunities like that, when they're so fresh, um, are it can be tricky for that very reason. So I'm just curious, like, how did you 
decide kind of how to go about that and like did you have any data to back it up or did you just have to use like your instincts as an SEO to kind of work out what would be worth targeting for your client it was mainly just instincts and I think we always try and be very reactive when staying on top of trends so I think we knew as soon as it came out that it was going to be something and then I think we got quite lucky in terms of a lot of articles came out from children were playing like squid game related games in the playground and there were it was a lot of hype was generated kind of even beyond what we thought so there probably was a little bit of luck in there but also the client was so so receptive to any ideas that we had so as soon as we said well you know what I think this might be a really good opportunity they were like yeah cool go for it write it publish it on the website um like taking away any of that kind of friction that might slow us down brilliant i love i love it when a client is like receptive to reactive ideas like that that's so good so good so next question liv how do you like to find opportunities for content optimization so i think there are loads and loads of different ways you might have clients that have specific business aims from their SEO. So that will really clearly relate to a specific page of content. So if a client came to me and said that they're really struggling to convert visitors, I'd look at the pages that should be driving those conversions to make sure that they're performing as well as they could. Otherwise, if you're trying to hunt out opportunities on your own, I'm a big fan of just going and do a massive audit of all of the content to see where you might find new opportunities. So that might come from, like I said before, pages that are currently ranking on page two or maybe even the bottom of page one for a targeted keyword. So it means that they've got that good foundation for future high ranking content. Otherwise, you might look at pages that have a particularly high exit rate on Google Analytics or those that have seen a recent drop in traffic as there's often a chance that they're not quite meeting the search intent and that you can just make a couple of quick changes to make that page perform to its potential. Yeah, that's really helpful. So the final question in this section on content strategy, are there any other optimization tips that you've picked up that you think other people would benefit from hearing? I would say one of the things that people kind of underestimate is keeping updating content regularly so just because something performed well six months ago doesn't mean it's perfect now and I think that there's a bit of a tendency to if you've got say a blog that performed really well like a year ago to say oh we'll just leave it because it was really good we don't want to touch it but there are always going to be things that you can do to make it more relevant make it perform better so don't be scared to change things up and update it and I think that's something that people often forget just on that one, Liv, do you, how, I guess, how specifically are you checking for that? Is it something that you just like keep an eye out for when you may be looking at analytics or rankings? Or is it that you're actually scheduling in like regular reviews to keep up to date with how content's doing and planning to have actions like that come out of it? I actually don't have regular reviews scheduled in, but I'm going to write that down because that's a good idea. <laughs> it's <laughs> um, actually... It's something that we're trying to do to do more. Like something I feel like we should be moving to because search like search intent is such a massive factor now. uh, Mm -hmm. Like in in the way Google ranks things, and it was something that 
we are, I kind of stole a lot of this from Rejoice, who was on our who was on the podcast a few weeks ago, and um, sort of towards the end of last year, who was talking about search intent changing, and I thought that's something you you got to you got to keep an eye out for that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. I think generally I will make note of pages that are performing really really well, and then yeah. just keep tracking their sort of traffic and rankings and how well they're performing and if it gets to a point where they're sort of starting to drop as often will happen think all right now what can I do to sort of change it up make it more relevant bring that traffic back because if you've done it once you can kind of do it again absolutely yeah and sorry I I may have come in before you'd before you'd finished your answer there were there any more tips you wanted to share no that was it from me on the tips front (laughs) Awesome. Well, I'll take over then for the uh, for the linguistics kind of section, because this was something that uh, was really part of the initial conversation that we had on Twitter about kind of having you on the podcast and what you might want to talk about. Um, and it's part of our backgrounds that overlap as well. Um, so I'm really interested to kind of have a few questions now that really like get into the into the nitty gritty of I suppose what's going on in Google search um, with kind of its more like it's evolving understanding of language and also get into a bit about kind of where your your degree and your interests come into things but just starting on that kind of uh targeting optimization kind of approach to lead into this like how do you first and foremost balance the opportunities that you're finding and the results that you're seeing with the desires of clients who might want to have specific things ranking for that target keyword like for example probably most of us in the industry at some point have come across a point where a client wants to talk about a product or a service in a different way than google actually wants to show results for that product or service maybe it's a branded product name or something that doesn't match up with the way people search so how do you navigate that and kind of blend your your clients needs with what's actually working in search yeah it it always always happens and i think the key with this is about doing your research and sticking to the data. So if a client really wants to target a specific keyword in a particular way, but you've got the data to say that actually no one is searching for that, then you can bring them the data and suggest alternatives. And if they are a reasonable client, which they usually are, they will understand that there's no point targeting a keyword that no one's going to see. Yeah. So that's why you kind of have that systematic keyword research behind it because you might think your audience is searching for one thing but when you do the research you realize that they're actually looking for it in a completely different way so one example that we've had quite recently is I've got a new client who produces nootropic drinks so they're sort of like brain boosting drinks with superfoods and things yeah originally we thought we'd target keywords related to nootropics But pretty quickly, we realized that no one is searching for that because it's a brand new market. They simply don't know what it is yet. Right. Instead, we've kind of had to widen the fun, widen the net almost and go for keywords like brain boosting drinks or drinks for focus that will capture people slightly higher up the funnel. So these are almost users that have got a definite problem, but they don't know if a solution exists yet. So Mm. using Google to sort of scope that out. So how did you how did you find that type that those types of keywords for this client? Like, was it through competitors that they'd given you, or that you'd found, or was it just through like your own research into things that could be related to this topic? 
a little bit a little bit of everything we even asked some of their they've got quite a loyal customer base at the moment and okay. we would do a bit of research among the customers to say what is it that you love about the product or like how would you describe it to someone else and that gave us kind of some of the terms that someone might be searching and then once you've kind of got that base you can do sort of your more traditional keyword research on SEMrush or whatever you use for it yeah that's really cool that customer research aspect and um, if you don't mind I'm just following this up a little bit more if you don't mind just like how how did you reach them like how responsive were the customers um so we went to customers who are sort of quite close with the founders so it sort of went with the founders Uh, so it's a bit more it's a bit different to just going and sending out a generic email to all customers although I think that would be interesting and that would be looking into in the future perhaps another idea I'm going to write down thanks Ben yeah (laughs) Um, but yeah so we sort of had the customers that who have kind of a more vested interest in the product and were willing to help out in that case that, no, that's really cool though. I, I really like it. Like there will be, I can think especially of sort of clients that I work with where maybe they're more service-based and they might have kind of some long-term sort of clients, like long-term partnerships who have that vested interest, like you say. And um, that could be a really, really interesting way of, um, of finding out like what, how other people outside of you and SEO and the client like think about the industry. Yeah, um, definitely. So I think a, found, cool. a founder and two people from an SEO agency are not representative of the general public because yeah. you're so absorbed in your product that you kind of have a really clear idea of like, oh, yeah, of course, this is how someone would describe our product or our service. But sometimes that doesn't always match up. And that might yeah. be a marketing problem. But otherwise, it could just be a completely different way of thinking of things. Well, and if it's coming from the customer as well, then it's difficult for the client to turn around and say, we're not like, that's not the approach we want to take. Because like, if you as an SEO suggest a different kind of targeting, then they could turn around and say, well, we're the experts in the industry. But if it's coming from their customers, then that's kind of, that's cut and dried, isn't it? Like that mm-hmm. is how people are searching and you can't really argue with that. Yeah. And the customer is always right. So exactly. <laughs> It's always nice to bring in some like, you know, the, the tried and true methods that have always worked in, in business, but the customer is always right, even in search. Uh, and even if we as SEOs try and kind of scratch our heads to work out actually how we give the customers what they're looking for sometimes. Um, and speaking of actually scratching your head and trying to work it out, we know that Google doesn't always get it right when we're looking at particular search terms. Um, and I know that this is something you mentioned when we were chatting beforehand about kind of interesting things in this space. We all, I think almost increasingly, I think, come across times when the search results just either don't really match what you expect from the query or don't really do a good job of answering the query. Like, as an, as an SEO, like, what are your options if you're targeting a keyword and actually you're just, you're kind of finding it quite hard to make sense of what you should be doing? It's a difficult one and it does pop up I think it varies depending on the client that you're working with so when I was working in-house we had a really high authority website where we could just win featured snippets left right and center yeah if we had a SERP that wasn't quite showing us the results that we wanted we could just like 
click of a button create a series of content that would let us dominate the search results really easily yeah. but that's not really the situation that most people find themselves in that sounds lovely mm, that, was, that was delightful uh, <laughs> but so as an example the drinks company that i mentioned before if you type nootropics into google where it's quite a new product idea there's a lot of varying information and mm. one of the people also our suggestions comes up as are new topics harmful which is not what we want our customers to see it begins to sort of sow the seed of doubt yeah. and then if you click on that query there's a big fat featured snippet that says yes they are harmful with a list of reasons why and then you click on that and it's a really random website that's not been kind of fact-checked and it's referring to one specific like tablet type form that isn't really related to our product but you don't know that unless you sort of click through which people often don't do with a featured snippet and all no. um so that's obviously not what we want for our brand and nootropics forms a lot of the company's branding and how they want to target things so it has been a, a bit of a bump in the road um we're being kind of careful to reiterate that we are a nootropics drinks brand um rather than the sort of like tablet form that's apparently a bit more harmful we could even create a piece of content along the lines of why drinks are better than the tablet form or yeah and just generally we've been creating a lot of content about these are all the benefits of our product in that it's like packed with superfoods and vitamins and things like that. For now, we're avoiding the kind of negative words like harmful and disadvantages in our copy, just yeah. to distance ourselves from that sort of harmful side of the SERP. We're focusing on the benefits. Yeah. And I think long-term plan is to get the site into a place where they might be able to compete for that featured snippet for the are nootropics harmful and then eventually win over the set in the future yeah a lot of different approaches you can have but yeah it's a challenge yeah because ea i guess it's back to eat isn't it which we haven't really touched on so far in this episode but i suppose does does come up any time that you are doing anything in the kind of health and well-being space yeah so and, and it, that's the thing as well like it's like there's so much when it comes to these types of sectors where half the battle is educating the user or the potential customer yeah and it is really tricky when you're up against like the medical um publications online so the only way that we've really been able to compete is by looking at like specific medical journals and referencing them as well oh wow yeah so doing a proper academic research yeah. almost to back it up yeah yeah that's interesting, but again, I, I bet there will be people listening who are maybe maybe not in exactly the same space, but maybe dealing with with clients who need that same level of, of fact-checking. I, mean, like I also work with insurance clients um, who actually have a very similar thing to what you were saying, Liv, uh, not to do with health drinks or anything like that, but to do with types of like financial services they offer. And basically, a lot of the people also ask boxes and stuff out there are, is X service bad? <laughs> um and it's really tricky to just come and challenge that head on and because a lot of clients do want to avoid that negative messaging on the site. Um, and this, this leads on, I think, quite nicely to the next question that we had, um, which was around, like, what are the differences now? Now that Google has advanced in natural language processing and 
machine learning uh, and is getting a lot kind of cleverer about how it sources and ranks content. Like what, what differences does that make to what we need to do as SEOs to, to actually be successful? I think there's so, so many. Like if you look back to the really early days of Google, results would literally be based on the individual words that you typed into the search bar. It would yeah. take into account like misspellings, typos, synonyms, like any of that. But now we have a little bit more kind of creative freedom. We know about kind of entity SEO. You know that there are kind of a hundred different ways that you might be able to refer to one entity. Sure. And then Google's sort of advances in natural language processing means that it can recognize like each different term as being related to the same entity. And you don't have to think, oh, I've got to include this exact match keyword X number yeah. of times. Um, and I think every new algorithm update provides some kind of opportunity to think about how we optimize our content. Sure. One thing that excited me recently was Google's rolling out the people ask next feature in search results. So as yes. well as the people also asked, there's kind of some recognition that there's a natural chronological order to some searches, which yeah. is obviously really relevant in spheres like e-commerce and things like that. And you can really capitalize on that, I think, in terms of content SEO. So me adding more emphasis to having content for every stage of your buyer's journey and thinking about how these sort of naturally link together and being like, okay, so what will someone search after they found out about this? I think that's yeah. really interesting. See, that's an idea that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take from you now because I hadn't, it just never occurred to me to actually like, try and make any sort of use of that information which is really silly because it's the kind of thing when you say it, it's like obviously that's fantastic information um but like yeah if you're planning a content strategy and you want to know what what people are searching for then google are telling you what they want next like you've done this page and then this is what's coming next so that that's brilliant yeah i think there's so many possibilities with this function i'm sort of i'm only just beginning to kind of think oh how can i work this out for sort of different clients but I think once it sort of becomes really commonplace I think it would be very interesting and I guess it's the kind of thing that's maybe not covered loads in tools and things so far that I've seen so it does require a bit of you going out and saying I'm going to find this data manually which Mm -hmm. again if a lot of our processes revolve around something like SEMrush or Ahrefs might not be your first thought I guess Mm -hmm. yeah Um, but I think it's really helpful and particularly at this sort of early stage of the feature it might really allow you to kind of be very ahead of the game and be like oh if someone's searching this after this specific query then right I'm gonna I'm gonna target this and you can sort of win over competitors yeah yeah it it makes a lot of sense and actually I've just thought of a of another follow-up as well if you'll if you'll let me go off on a slight tangent again like this, this makes me think of well, topic optimization, I suppose, which I feel was a buzzword in SEO maybe a little while ago and, and isn't maybe spoken about as much now. But like when you're thinking of strategies and content optimization, like does that come into your thinking at all of like how to kind of be optimizing for the broad topic and how to be linking everything together? Yeah, I think so. It's not, it's not something that I ventured into as much, but I quite like the idea of, you know, when you see a sort of map, quite like a mind map quite nicely laid out of how different pieces of content work 
together. Yeah. It's, quite, it's quite nice. So I had a client recently who I think I, they, I started with them and they had three pages on their website and I was sort of in charge of basically building content for the whole website and making nice. blog posts and feature pages for this and that. And I thought quite like long and hard because it was such a nice clean slate to work from in terms of where would I want my users to go from page to page and how each one is going to link together. And I physically wrote down every, because there were only about 20 pages on the site. I wrote yeah. down the page and did like little arrows of how each one has like a link from each other and did like a little spider web of that. So that's quite fun. That's really cool. Yeah, that's another idea that I might steal in the future and one that I would recommend people listening to, to make note of as well. It doesn't, doesn't work if you've got a really big website. Maybe not. <laughs> pages, it might take you a while. But if you've got like clients with a tiny website, it's quite fun to do. Yeah. It forces you to sort of think about that internal linking and in your user journey as you sort of work through the site, which is obviously really helpful. Yeah, and it also makes me think of an approach one of my colleagues took recently which I'd never seen before really of um kind of mapping out a blogging strategy but using like a sitemap tool so doing it quite visually like a sitemap but splitting it so there were like five different audience categories that we knew our audience wanted to speak to through their blog so like splitting out those five categories and then basically taking the same the same I don't know six topics or something but putting a different spin on those topics for each of the five categories um so I think it was like um, it was like gardening or what was one of the was one of the kind of broad topics. And then it was like how different styles of gardening for each of the different sort of five. And it just laid it out in such a visual way that I know the client received really well. So I feel like just thinking outside the box like that and thinking a little bit more visually can be a massive help when sort of planning strategies. Yeah, definitely. I like that. like that. And I think, like you said, it's something that clients will really like as well because Sometimes if you just sort of like talk data and SEO at them, then they'll switch off. But if you sort of give them a nice little, not to oversimplify it, but just like yeah. if you give them something visual, that's something that so many people will kind of resonate with them and be like, oh, okay, that works. Yeah. And especially if these visual things like what you were describing, like with, with the map around the site, like they are tying directly into how people are using the website, which is like what maybe we sometimes forget a little bit in SEO when we're so laser focused on keywords and things you you miss that user journey on from there yeah definitely it's sort of like that split between having your specific keywords and then also you've got to broaden it out a bit and think about the website as a whole like you said yeah yeah that's awesome there are there are some great ideas here that uh, yeah definitely hope people are being inspired by because because I'm finding this really helpful I hope so <laughs> And I just want to just want to change tack slightly for the last few minutes, then, because yeah, I didn't want to go didn't want to go the whole episode without having a little bit of a chat about like your background in linguistics and things. Um, so, I guess <laughs> coming into SEO, where many of us have come from all sorts of different backgrounds, where our degrees have varying levels of usefulness for the SEO career that we now find ourselves in, but linguistics feels like there should be some kind of overlap, which is pretty cool. So. Is there anything from your degree, like all from your kind of past interests and things that you do actually find really useful in your career now? Yeah, definitely. And I think no one is more surprised about that than me. <laughs> I, remember, I remember being at uni and sitting there, not amazingly inspired and thinking, sure. mm, I'm not going to end up using half these skills in the real world. When I was like 
10 lectures deep into Russian grammar, I was like, no, I'm not using it. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is in kind of the softer skills, like it's the essay writing, the communicating, you're a good storyteller, which I think is vital for SEO. Yeah. And then obviously there's a lot of different ways you can study linguistics, but one of the specific ones is we had a module about machine learning and software. Okay. Siri and Alexa, we had a project, a really difficult project about how they can kind of detect emotions within speech and how they produce speech that is sort of like lifelike. So looking at the phonetics of that. Yeah. Um, so that was super, super interesting. And I think that gave me quite a nice little springboard in terms of learning about natural language processing with regards to Google. Because as soon as I started looking into that in terms of SEO, I thought, oh, hang on, there's, there's a link here. There's something that I did at uni as being helpful, which is quite yeah. nice. Well, you mentioned um, kind of optimising entities earlier as opposed to just purely focusing on the exact keyword phrase. Mm -hmm. um, and I know for me with an English degree background, I definitely, when I looked into that even slightly, I was like, hang on, there's, <laughs> there's some like just kind of relatively basic linguistics theory going on here that's like just really useful. And again, I didn't expect that to be useful in my SEO career. Yeah, definitely. And I remember... I had a little play around recently on Google's um, natural language processing kind of API demo. Yes. And I was, look, as I remember chatting to you about it and I was like, oh, look at all of these kind of grammatical concepts that I've not seen since my uni days. Um, I know. So that, I was like, oh, it's all, it's all coming back to me now. So yeah, that's, it's super, super interesting. Um, and I think it's just, you've been looking at kind of the nuances of language and how, there are hundreds sort of different ways to express something and how we looked at um, kind of inferences. And if you yeah. kind of type into Google, do I need an umbrella today? It will return a result of this is what the weather is. And yeah. you've not even mentioned the word weather. You've not mentioned the word rain in your Google search, but through the power of kind of understanding inferences, it will, understand that you're asking about the weather just as yeah. kind of human would which is mind-blowing I know and I guess that 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 helps us I think hopefully think more strategically about the kind of content that we're producing because if we if we see certain searches coming through then it gives us a certain amount of leeway to be like well we can if we see Google is at least already showing things along the lines, the right lines for that topic, then we can create content that we know is going to be really helpful, really useful responding to that query. And there's a certain level of trust that you can have that if you're answering that question well enough, then that actually will be picked up by a search engine. Whereas five, six, seven years ago, it wouldn't really have mattered how well you were answering the question. It would only have mattered how well you were repeating back the phrase that people were searching which hopefully makes it quite nice for people from that sort of background to come into this sort of career now. Yeah, definitely. It gives you that kind of creative freedom, not to necessarily write as one long metaphor because Google's not perfect. And yeah. no one would ever <laughs> want to read that. But you don't have to just sort of be repeating the same keyword again and again. And you almost like you have that trust in Google that it's got an understanding of the entities within your content and the con the wider context so it will understand what you're on about yeah and i think like you said there like google's not perfect and if you play around with that tool that you mentioned which i will link 
uh, in the description for this for anybody who wants to see what we're talking about. Um, you can quite quickly see that even there are still quite simple changes that make it a lot easier for Google to understand. Uh, and, and you can see how you can definitely make things easier or harder for search engines based on, I guess, how clearly you're writing. Like it still helps to be clear and I think relatively simple in what you say. Yeah, definitely. I think from a Google perspective and from a user perspective as well, like that's the kind of content that people want to read. People yeah. don't want to read. If they want like flowery, exciting language, they go and read a novel. If they want information, they go to Google and yeah. that kind of simple language. That's a really good point. Uh, and we may have covered this sort of final question fairly well already, but I'll ask it anyway in case there's, there's anything extra you wanted to say. Like, it, it, what would you say to someone from a similar background to you, or I guess from more broadly an arts or language background, who, who might be considering a, a career in SEO, but not really sure whether or not it's right for them? I think definitely just to go for it. I think if you're a naturally good writer or communicator, there's never been a better time to be an SEO, yes. which is why you see a lot of like journalists switching over to SEO, a lot of people with the kind of writing background. Because the algorithm more and more is going to favor that user-centric approach. And that's what great writers will bring to the table. It's content that people actually want to read. Mm. Um, and I think people within the arts often undervalue their own writing skills. So if you're constantly surrounded by other people who are great writers, you sort of downplay your own writing skills. But it's actually a massive, yeah. massive asset to have. Yeah, that's so good. That's so encouraging. I really like that message. Mm. Um, Liv, May, anything final from you that you wanted to ask or bring up, or are you all happy? No other questions from me, but I really like what you said about um, if people want to read lovely flowery language, they will read a novel. But <laughs> specifically when it does come to, you know, people asking a question in Google, they want information. Like, it's so true. Mm, that is what they are there for. Like, they don't, they don't really care about what language they use. They just want to be able to extract the information from it as quickly as possible. And that's kind of what you get from writing really clearly. Yeah. And also particularly important to bear in mind, I guess, the, the more dense the topic is naturally, the more you need to really work at it to bring out that clear answer, like thinking about finance or law, some of these areas, like you do really need to put the time in there as an SEO, I think. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Awesome. Well, we're coming to the end of the of the time now. So just the, the very final question for you, Liv. Uh, how can people find you on social media? Is there anything else you want to mention or share for our audience while you're on? Um, I would probably say best to find me on Twitter. So I am at Olivia Day with two underscores, which I thoroughly nice. regret now because you write it down and everyone thinks it's one and then they can never find me. Um, so is that is that two between the between the names? No, sorry, Olivia Day and then two underscores. Then two underscores, got you. Well, we will also include a link to that um, in the description and blog post as well. So it should be easy for people to find you. Amazing, thank you. Otherwise, I post sporadically on LinkedIn. Um, now I've got one podcast under my belt. I'm going to be popping up left, right and centre, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm looking forward to, to seeing where you go from here. It's been, been very exciting that you could make your podcast debut with us. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely. No worries at all. And uh, that, will, that will do us for this week's Rank Up podcast episode. Uh, so we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time with more on-page SEO content. And we'll continue to bring you a variety of voices from within the SEO industry throughout this year. 
Uh, but in the meantime, as always, we would massively appreciate uh, any reviews uh, on the podcast app of your choice because that all helps us uh, get seen by more people, which is great. Uh, and if you would like to chat to us on this episode, uh, you've heard how to find Live Day already, uh, but you can find Live May at uh, SEO Livia May, uh, that's M-A-E, and I am at Ben J. Gary with two R's in Gary. Um, and if you can't wait for the next podcast episode, then you can find everything that's going on at Impression at the moment at impression.co.uk slash blog, which is where we have articles from across all of our digital marketing activity, not just SEO. Uh, and as always, we highly recommend checking out womenintechseo.com slash speakers, which is a great way to find uh, other brilliant people writing and speaking about the kind of topics we're chatting about here. So that's everything. Uh, live and live. Thank you very much for coming on. And uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks for your next installment of the Conversation.